the big thing that changes with Web3 is that vertical integration is not the same thing. Like most of the teams that I know, they're not trying to take over everything. Just the, the economics of that are different now. What they're trying to do is make their one major contribution or their few contributions and do that as best they can in a way that's going to increase the pie. It's a much more positive sum dynamic, much less competitive, much more collaborative. And that's due to the nature of those things like blockchain open source. We're all working kind of together on the same thing. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Okay, everybody. Hello. We are back with another episode. And today we are joined by Tracheopteryx, which is... Um, I say the stage name of uh, what that we refer to this person as track, uh, which is a little bit easier to, to pronounce, who is a pioneer in decentralized governance, operations and compensation systems, and a co-founder of an organization called Coordinate, and a previous contributor of Yearn Finance. So we go into all things DAOs, uh, essentially, and we really go back to the roots of how DAOs were uh emerging and what is happening now in this space uh, in terms of new developments and new forms and patterns that we see uh, and i think for me in this conversation i, I really tried to uh, take a step back let's say and, and try to unpack what what are we talking about when we when we talk about building trustless organizations which for me originally became such a paradox um to hear because we're actually talking about building trust and so Track was, uh, you know, explaining how he looks at the, this, that the trust essentially in those organizations never disappear. Uh, it's just a matter of where is the trust placed. So in a corporate environment, maybe it's placed on those processes that we have seen developed over time and in hierarchies and, and different roles. Whereas in the DAO uh, space, it's placed more on technology, on protocols and and so on. But nevertheless, the human to human trust is something that is always present to some extent. You cannot, I think we explore, we, you cannot fully outsource the, the trust between teammates in those systems. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting to see this discussion, to, to listen to this discussion around trust, because uh, uh, I think it provides a good uh, heuristic in terms of uh, understanding essentially the new elements that DAOs uh, bring to the table uh, in a way that we can as well imagine how these DAO patterns will uh, integrate with existing organizations. And this is something we discuss in the podcast as well with, with Track um, when we discuss, for example, the possibility for, I don't know, Apple or, or Google to use DAO-like functionalities to manage some of their uh, products, such as the, the, the app stores, for example. But uh, more, uh, even more interestingly, I think uh, uh, one of the passages of the interviews we, we interview we had with Track uh, uh, for me was uh, when he, uh, he said, you know, I was at Denver, which is uh, the most probably the most important conference around Ethereum and DAOs, um, and he said I was talking to another team, another person, and, and it was like I had this feeling of talking to someone else from you know my my same organization as me so just talking to someone else from another team uh, and so um, it feels like there is a strong ethos in the DAO space uh, where competition is really not on the table you know people are really looking into co cooperation and interoperability and composability and uh, to me, it feels like this movement is pioneering uh, the market of the future to some extent, especially as we will see, as I said, uh, as we can uh, expect or, or at least, um, you know, uh, invoke corporations to embrace some of these DAO's perspectives and, and tools and, and, you know, paradigms. So if we really set to see evolution in the market and in the existing organizations, we're probably looking into a market where components will be much more important, teams will be much more important, and we're going to see less vertical integration, much more 
uh, abundant, I would say, reconfiguration of pieces and components and modules uh, that uh, will evolve to be even more composable. So uh, at the moment, uh, we're writing about this in coming blog posts in our in our blog, and uh, um, we really see this happening. You know, the market is really evolving. DAOs are pioneering. Uh, organizations need to keep an eye on those paradigms and uh, uh, tracks interview uh, it may be a good starting point to understand both to understand a little bit of market dynamics but also uh, strongly understand the ethos that uh, this movement is building around so I think this is a great interview uh, I've listened to it a couple of times so I'm you know, enjoy it and let us know what what, what new thoughts it's uh, it's uh, generating in your in your vision about the future of markets. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Boundless Conversations podcast. Uh, I'm here today with my usual co-host uh, Stina Heikila. Hello, everyone. Hello, Stina. And uh, uh, today we have Track with us. Hello, Track. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, we're really looking forward to uh, leverage uh, some of your great knowledge about this crazy important and interesting space that is growing, I would say, day by day around what we call DAOs, right? So these kind of new types of organizations that are emerging around uh, the new uh, enablers that blockchain and BFT consensus and tokenizations are bringing us, you know, in terms of uh, designing products and organizations. You, you know, we have a lot, <laughs> a lot of interest in this conversation and uh, most specifically, we wanted to maybe start with uh, an initial framing that uh, maybe you can give us a, a little bit uh, with regards to two types of things, two elements. One is uh, how kind of spaces, let's say, in the, in the value chain and in the organizational landscape, the house can basically take over or in general inject or transform more easily or more importantly, and also maybe connect this a little bit with the pre-existing models and type of organizations, right? So trying really to understand what are, what are DAOs for, what we should be using uh, them uh, for, uh, what kind of radical changes they bring to the table for us to do better some of the things that we uh, maybe used to do with corporates or with other type of uh, organizations, uh, experiencing the limits of those and maybe DAOs can really transcend those limits. We can kind of go back to where DAOs as an idea came from. And it's a simpler case to think about, which is really a way to create a decentralized organization that can make decisions about money in a truly decentralized way. And that's the starting place where you have assets on a blockchain and then you have a group of people that can make decisions about them without a trusted third party. You know, from there, the potential for DAOs is quite large. Any way that you want to have really decentralized decision-making uh, without, you know, in a trustless way. So in a recent podcast that I was listening to, uh, I think it was uh, your uh, appearance on, on Collectively Intelligent from Colony, you spoke about something that really called my attention uh, in. And uh, now in this introduction, you, you basically say DAOs are uh, tools that we can use where we have distribute uh, budgets, for example, and empower uh, teams to operate in a trustless environment. Uh, but you, I think you double-clicked during this podcast in, in this, um, let's say, need to integrate the idea of uh, uh, trust in trustless uh, environments. So th let's say this sweet spot where the possibilities that the blockchain and you know the other tools that are emerging from Web3 are bringing in terms of creating these permissionless spaces where also trustless interactions are possible, uh, mixing them instead with the typical dynamics that exist in, in you know traditional organizations and teams where in reality trust is a real thing and people trust each other, right? So uh, maybe you can quickly double-click on this mix between what is the real potential in, in integrating both trustless and permissionless context with uh, you know the, the more trusted environments that normally emerge between uh, contributors or people that share the same vision or, or even the same team? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point because most people get really caught up in just the trustless piece. And 
as we know from relating to other human beings on this planet, there is, there's trust also, and that's not something that ever goes away. You know, hopefully, <laughs> um, a world without any trust is a pretty boring and, um, flat place. But, you know, thinking about how that comes in, the entire concept of DAOs can be pretty murky for most people, including those of us focused on them all the time. It's still very emergent, you know, it's very new. Let's drill in for a second on the kind of canonical kind of DAO, and then we can go from there. So like Uniswap, for instance, you have a smart contract that is out there on the internet running on Ethereum that, you know, can't be shut down unless you shut down all of Ethereum. And it has a few different functions you can call on it in terms of like changing parameters. It does its normal product stuff, like allowing you to make swaps of different assets. Um, but then there's also a governance component. That type of governance stuff, and in the case of Uniswap, it's a very simple one. It's like turn the fees on or don't, like one decision. And then in Uniswap governance, you have that. And then you also have the ability to give Unis the Uni token to other people. And so these very small set of decisions, how do you make them? And in the past, before blockchain, you would have corporate governance make these types of decisions. But because of blockchain, now we can allow those decisions to be made in a decentralized way. Although that's not a monolithic term, because total decentralization is the heat death of the universe, where all the particles in space collapse into black holes, and those black holes separate out infinitely. And that's not what anybody wants, right? at least not yet. But you want you know, some type of decision-making which isn't constrained by the need to rely on traditional governments and jurisprudence and things like that. You know, so in the case of Uniswap, you have a token and anybody can buy that token and anybody that holds that token can weigh in in governance. There's nuance there because as it plays out, actually there are certain large holders and this happens across DAOs, which have a disproportionate say. But this simple case, right? You have a set of tokens, a limited amount of tokens. There's token weighted voting on different proposals to make very specific types of changes to an immutable contract that exists on the Ethereum blockchain. That's the kind of simplest form of DAO governance. It's very, very clear, right? But then from there, you know, how does Uniswap, the entire holistic idea of Uniswap, the entire thing work? There's also Uniswap Labs, which is a company that functions in a normal company way. And people in there work together and they trust each other and they have bosses and things like that and they, and they make decisions. That's one way to work. But so this DAO idea can go beyond just deciding on five different things that an immutable contract can do. It could, we believe, many of us believe, and are trying to use the same idea to make all the different types of decisions that need to happen in any type of organization, including hiring, payroll, branding decisions, et cetera, et cetera. When it comes to those types of decisions, the standard token-weighted voting or coin voting system where all of the network participants that own a token weigh in on every decision doesn't work very well, as you might imagine. We all have probably heard, like, you know, designed by committees is just about the worst thing you can do. Like, you don't want to design a logo, you know, with uh, 10,000 strangers on the internet. You know, you want to delegate that power to a smaller group uh, in some way or another. And then when you drill down further and you look at the actual way that human beings work, it is in a trusted way. If you've ever been on a high-functioning creative team, there's a tremendous amount of trust. And there's been a ton of research that's been done famously, you know, Google's work on psychological safety, etc. In these types of environments, you need a lot of trust. So DAO tooling, or basically the theory around DAOs, is still just beginning to explore how to create those types of trusted environments as well being part of this larger trustless envelope you know looking at this more more than a type of organization then as a model of governance or a model of uh, decision making a model of execution of uh, certain parts of the market so i can imagine for example two or three companies or you know even more uh, you know as we look into that as a permissionless space uh, to kind of agree that uh, part of the value chain they are building value upon uh, should be governed in a certain way. So basically isolating a certain protocol that they can agree on and uh, collectively 
you know, basically contributing both in terms of, uh, you know, funding it or taking decisions to this kind of uh, shared enabling uh, layer. So uh, what I'm saying is, so maybe existing companies and existing types of organizations need to master this technique because uh, uh, it's a new possibility that we have and this could help us build more cooperative markets, more efficient markets, more you know, better coordination layers, right? In this uh, context, I'm also curious to know how do you see this uh, uh, playing out uh, in spaces that are maybe traditionally not uh, uh, connected with uh, DeFi, you know, in this space where all this DAO movement uh, arises. So, for example, in terms of, uh, I don't know, can, can we imagine a DAO governing a, a physical infrastructure like in logistics, for example, or in network? I mean, we are seeing some experiments coming up with Helium, for example, or some other, uh, you know, which, by the way, for, for our listeners, is creating a, a telco network uh, infrastructure. So what do you feel in terms of interplay between existing organizations and uh, these DAO patterns? First, from the point of view of uh, where these patterns should be playing out and how likely is that uh, existing players embrace them to uh, develop their, their coordination layers or their, their communication layers, also and especially in industries that are not just uh, digital, not just uh, abstract, and uh, but also in tangible spaces. Well, yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, you could take a toy case of, you know, a company that just decides how many bricks to buy every day. So it's a physical thing and they're buying bricks on a physical market. And um, that decision-making is a fairly small space of decision-making. And that could be made through traditional corporate governance, or that's the type of thing that you could have a DAO model make decisions about how many to increase or decrease the rate of brick buying. I don't see any particular challenge there around the decision-making. But then one of the nuances here is that, okay, once you make that decision, what is the trust environment of that decision? And this is something that has uh, a lot of variety within the, the DAO space as well. But if we're talking about interfacing with a traditional corporate environment or traditional governmental env environment, you can't do that in a trustless way. You know, you have to rely on some trusted third party, like a, you know, an owner of a, of a brick company or, or some market, you know, that's all ruled by traditional jurisprudence, but the decision-making itself can happen. So there's, there's an important way to think about this. There's the difference between like ownership and decision-making. And if you don't fully own something, you can't fully make the decision on it. And there is no way to own things in a truly decentralized way in the you know, pre-blockchain world. And even in the blockchain world, decentralized control is you know, an evolving concept. So now that we've kind of made that distinction, there's organizations that have lots and lots and lots of types of decisions to make. Like imagine a company like Apple. You know, trying to take a company like Apple and make a DAO decentralized system to make all of its decisions would be chaos. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't work because we just don't have the tools yet. Look, there's a lot of variety of opinions now around DAOs and how well they work. And you'll have some, you know, notable people saying that they don't like DAO governance, it doesn't work, and you know, give me a, a top-down corporate entity any day. And they're right in in one way. For right now, if your bottom line is money and you're trying to make one specific type of product that's complicated and requires a lot of different types of decision-making, it's hard to do that in a DAO. It's really hard to do that in a DAO because it's so early, really, and we have to reinvent so many of these tools. But the promise is huge because one of the major problems with corporations and with the way that we normally do large-scale endeavor on the world right now is that the highest technology, like the, the most evolved form of that organism is one where you have a small group of people making decisions for a much larger group of people. And just by the nature of that network, it's limited in its cognitive ability. Because it doesn't matter how smart I am, if I'm making decisions for 10,000 people that are somewhere else, I'm not going to make the best decisions. 
It's no, there's no way around it because the nature of the world is that it changes quickly and there's a lot of variables. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've learned from, you know, Teal and self-management is that the people that are involved in doing the work generally know best how to make decisions around it. But the traditional command and control style of, of governance doesn't really factor that in very well. DAOs have the promise of really doing that, of doing that in a completely new way, you know, where you can create an organization that's complicated with all these different features, different decisions, real world assets, whatever, that's more integrated with the environment, you know, more able to respond to things that change because of this, you know, kind of trustless infrastructure. But we don't have all the layers yet to make that a, a reality. Uh, you spoke about Apple, and I think it's a very interesting example, right? More than Apple, I was thinking to Google, right? So is it something that we can imagine that a company like Google in the future, you know, will uh, say, you know, for example, our, our Play Store and, you know, the software to, you know, for example, run applications uh, into the Play Store and so on, becomes a DAO, right? Or yeah. it, it beco be becomes a, an open organization so that uh, we can kind of keep this alive uh, instead of, you, you know, to respond essentially to the powerful forces that will push for openness and transparency, this kind of enabling uh, platform that uh, is intermediating so much value. And, and I think, you know, the pressures are there for Google to be more, for example, re more responsible and more transparent toward both the users and the creators on top. So can we imagine that in the future p you know, companies to kind of keep those major enabling platforms alive or create new ones will embrace the DAO path? It's a great example to think about. So let's say that, right, Google wants to take this one specific decision, you know, the approval of applications to their store, and they're going to turn that into a, a DAO. You, you could do that. You could certainly do that because that's a pretty clearly constrained decision, and we've got the technology to do that just with, you know, token-weighted voting. Now, how well would it work? It's interesting question. I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of companies do that anytime soon. Or if they do do it, it'll be just, well, anytime soon, probably sooner than we think. But right now, maybe no. It, it's more of a marketing thing, I think. And they would do it in a safe way, you know, where they make sure that they own controlling interest. And, you know, so it's all kind of decentralized theater. But one of the problems, you know, and, and Vitalik's written about this, you know, well, and, and the problems with coin voting is that the coin voting mechanism for making decisions in DAOs, you know, has a lot of problems. Like you can sell votes, you know, you can, you can decouple the economic and governance power of a token, you know, by wrapping it and selling uh, the voting piece, right? And large, you know, established financial interests, you know, will find a way to manipulate any of these structures. And, you know, we've seen a lot of governance attacks in DeFi, like with Compound and other places, And that'll happen more uh, and more and more because the coin voting system is kind of fundamentally flawed. But that's okay. You know, some, a lot of people say that that's a, you know, oh, DAOs don't work. But it's like, no, that's, that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's part of it. We'll figure out better systems and we'll learn how to do this better. But for now, like you wouldn't see like a giant established player kind of, kind of do this unless it's just for marketing. It, you know, there are some ways to do it though. The promise or the opportunity there is that you really have better decision-making. You know, Google or Apple, whoever has a store, they're, they're trying to figure, they're trying to thread the needle on figuring out the best way to, like, approve apps that are going to be useful. But they're constrained by all these different things, like legal, the, like the legal environment that they're in, et cetera. But if there's a better way to make decisions on what gets approved and what doesn't, they'll make more money. And that's powerful incentive for these companies. And the opportunity is that DAOs potentially are a better way to make those decisions. It's just not quite there yet. Right. Well, I captured some in your words, a couple of points. One is that uh, technologically speaking and, and process-wise, uh, embracing these techniques uh, could bring efficiency and, and quality 
you know, for example, I'm thinking of what uh, Twitter is doing with Blue Sky Project, right? That uh, that could be both a marketing stunt or also something very substantial that radically changes the nature of the of the network. But on the other side, you also recognize that there is this kind of uh, lock-in of uh, entrenched interests that uh, uh, may prevent, uh, even in front of uh, such a strong uh, uh, signal of uh, potential quality, efficiency, an established organization to go that path, which I think is a fascinating point to, to bring up. And maybe we can go back to these lock-in elements later on in the, in the conversation. But I know that Stina has some, some further question on some practical elements of uh, working in, in this new context. Yeah, maybe I can bring us back a little bit to the human element. So now we talked quite a lot on, you know, there, there are obviously all these new opportunities to make decisions using technologies and, and the way uh, that the DAOs are experimenting with. Um, but you also mentioned the human trust. Uh, you also talked about a bit like the team size, you know, you need a certain uh, team size for, for executing things uh, effectively. And there you need to to have trust. Uh, and I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts about uh, also mixing this with the fact that the, the DAOs teams also very anonymous usually working like across space, very asynchronously and, and sort of coordinated from many different locations and so on. Uh, and sometimes you don't even know who you are collaborating with, from my understanding, you you just have an interaction. So it would be, yeah, it would be nice to hear what you think about this uh, collaboration element between humans and how to build trust in that and combining it with then uh, the new technologies that allow for the, the decision making, but what is the ba- balance to to strike there, basically, and how are you de- dealing with that? Well, my co-founder, coordinate Zach Anderson, says this thing that I often repeat, which is that we move at the speed of trust, and I think it's very profound and true. And you know, blockchain doesn't really change that, but what it does is it adds nuance to it, it adds a layer to it. So, trust is established through relationship. And it's established, you know, in a kind of uh, iterative way. And you build up trust with things. And you can have trust in people. And you can have trust in organizations. And you can have trust in tools. And you can have trust in physical properties of the world like gravity and other things like this. And the thing that really changes everything with this is blockchain. Because it has such a high trust. We say it's trustless because the trust is so good. Because, you know, you know that your Bitcoin is not going to get stolen from you you know, on the chain, like somebody can steal your private key. Sure. But, but when it's out there, you know, it's not going to get double spent. It's not going to get forged. You know, you are in total control of that. And that type of trust in a financial thing is very powerful. And then when you look at things like DeFi, where you have all these different ways to move financial value all in this trustless way, it is so powerful and uh, allows for so much to happen that is, when you don't trust a system as well, you don't put as much energy into it. You don't trust it enough to use it. But with these things, you really can trust them. So there's that layer. That's the foundation. That's the kind of where the life kind of can enter the system. But then we still have trust between human beings. And that gets more complicated, especially when, as you say, there is, um, you know, you go into a DAO today and you're in a Discord and there's 5,000 people in there. And you don't know any of them. And the coolest part about this is people could be 13 years old. They could be from South Africa. They could be from Sweden. You, they could be from anywhere. These could be people that are, you know, have done a lot of self-work and are very open and connected and loving and supportive people. Or they could be people that are totally, you know, stuck in patterns and see everybody as the enemy. And all of these people are collaborating together or try and do something. And that's a huge challenge. Even when you reduce that to a small team, like in my experience, I've worked in these team, smaller teams, like at Urine Finance and at Coordinate in particular. And you've got people that are from all over the place that have lots of different worldviews, different ages, et cetera, all that same stuff. But now you're working every day together trying to do something and you're establishing trust. And the blockchain, the safety of the assets and the property does help you know, because it's a lot easier to verify what's mo- what's happening with the money. But then when it comes to things like, oh, you were supposed to, you know, write that document for me and you didn't, or, or like, didn't we have the meeting today? Or who's in charge of making this decision comes up. 
you can't reduce all of that stuff to smart contracts. Really, you know, human beings are operating at the edge of this frontier, and we can reduce things to practice after time and create immutable ways to hold them, but there's always this space of this living space where trust is essential and where interpersonal dynamics are essential. And this is actually why the corporate models work quite well, because these are processes that people trust. We've all been in corporations. We know what it's like to have a boss, um, or not all of us. Some of us haven't entered the job market yet, for instance, but many of us have and are really seen movies about it. So we understand how it works to some extent, and we can trust those systems. But these new systems of like, oh, there's no boss, there's no, nobody's telling me what to do. People often have no idea what to do in this case, and that makes it harder to develop trust. But that trust piece is the essential piece. That's what separates, you know, a high-functioning team from a totally conflict-ridden team that just does bike shedding all day. And so mostly what I'm interested in is, this, is in this area. My, you know, a priori assumption is that everybody has value. Every single person. Everybody has some way to add value to this world. And the challenge is really to create a system, create a culture where people can add their value and that can be accepted and and coalesce into this laser of human output that can help take us into the next phase of uh, you know of human existence the innovation of blockchain is the is a key piece for that because before that we all are familiar with this case where too much power accrues and people become corrupt and they take advantage of it and that creates a, a bad environment that with low trust and then people don't want to put their gifts into that system and really put themselves out there. But all of us want to do that. All of us, it's not just about making money. We all have a force in us, you know, to do something in this world. You, you can look at studies of, of primates or of children, whatever. We don't work because of incentives. We work because that is the beauty of life. And that only gets stopped by these corrupt problems and process issues and, and everything else and wounds, right? So, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but there's this incredibly beautiful opportunity right now to create the minimal structures on top of blockchain that allows for all of these different people from all these different worldviews to come together and work in harmony, like that's the real opportunity here. I call it the party bike. You know, it's like a you know a party bike where Ten people can get on, and everybody can pedal as much as little as they want, you know. And then you get somewhere cool. Like that's that's what we're building. That's super cool. I I remember first time that when I came across the word trustless, and I, it was such a cognitive dissonance. I said, "But I don't get this trustless. It's trust, basically. There must be yes. a mistake." And like, <laughs> so you explained that really well. So it's it's kind of it's it's actually essentially building trust in other things than humans <laughs> on the side, but then not leaving the human element out. I think it's very interesting to see that it's a new way. Like you said, it's a new sort of, we have to have new uh, imagination of how things are. Because for instance, I can talk from my own perspective, not being a developer and, and being more on uh, sort of a social in interaction side. If I would enter a Discord or we have had previous uh, podcast guests to say, oh, I just joined the Discord, but I would I have no idea what to do if I come into a room with 5,000 people and, and no videos or no profiles. And so, so it's this big barrier there, I, I feel like, from because it is so much in the beginning. So we can sort of get it conceptually. But do you have any examples of something more relatable than, than uh, that has developed as a DAO, if you see what I mean? Like for, for someone who would be a little bit far from being a developer or work, used to working on these kind of projects, uh, I don't know at all if you have, but would be interesting to hear, you know, the application areas that you've seen. Yeah, there's 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 tons. But actually, I want to go back for a second to the word trustless. So mostly what trustless means is that you don't have to trust a third party human, right? Like you don't have to trust a bank to make sure that your money is there. When you put your money in a bank, that bank can decide not to give it to you, right? So you have to trust that bank if you want to make financial transactions. With blockchain, they call it trustless because you don't have to trust another human. You can just trust, but you are trusting the technology. So just as you said, you're like moving trust from one place to another, but trust never goes away. And to the question of like, you know, how would you enter a discord? And, you know, if you're not a developer, can you do that? Like, absolutely. Like 
all of the DAOs have needs for for non-developers in the community. You know, whether it's community management, design, communications, partnerships, etc. There's plenty of things, documentation that you don't need to be a developer to do. And there's many, many DAOs that are working on things that are not, you know, straight math, you know, like my friend's DAO Thirsty Thirsty, and they're working on um, wine and food and, you know, connecting with manufacturers and indigenous peoples that are creating beautiful products, you know, and trying to bring that into Web3 to create an ownership economy of these things, you know, and there's another project doing that with coffee. And so there's, there's, there's really plenty of really cool things that are less developer centric. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I feel is, is that uh, the emergence of these uh, technological layers is helping us to kind of bifurcate the organizational landscape, right? In uh, shared large scale layers where the decision making space is very limited. You know, for example, you made the example of Uniswap where decisions are mostly around parameters, right? That you can tweak to change slightly the business model or the sustainability model or the protocol and so on. Like they create, for example, and so on. And uh, on the other side of the spectrum, I see that uh, on top of uh, such shared large-scale layers, there is much more potential to build uh, uh, small-scale organizations hmm? Hmm. Uh, where uh, I'm curious to know what you think in terms of uh, what is the real core unit of contribution? Is it the the individual or the team? Uh, You also spoke about uh, indigenous teams, for example, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. So my assumption, part of my theory of change, if I can say, is that uh, uh, the emergence of this kind of smart contracting capabilities uh, will uh, drive a lot of sovereignty in, inside teams. So uh, once teams become more capable of deciding what work to do, uh, my feeling is that they will do embedded work. So they will do work that impacts their own places and their own communities. And I'm also curious to know what is your feeling in terms of uh, looking into this embodied and embedded work, is it pertaining to place? Is it pertaining to an idea of tribe that can be developed also across places? Because, you know, part of the work that I'm sure we have to do as we transition into a new type of economy is to re-embed work inside inside place and community. So what do you feel about it? I think there's at least a couple of things in there. We're going backwards, talking about embodiment, so in, in my life, most of what I'm interested in is being a flesh and blood human being around other flesh and blood human beings on this planet alive. And very little of that actually gets into the information work of working in a DAO. And that's a shame. Right now, there's not much to be done about that uh, other than, you know, being present to it, seeing it and, you know, making sure that you do take care of your body and the other parts of yourself that don't fit through that narrow straw of the computer screen. But you can also bring some of that into this other world. You can transfigure yourself and and shapeshift into this other space, bringing all of your magic as well. But you, you know, you just it's not as fun, really. You know, to just be talking to people in text all the time, it's a little different. Um, and it provides challenges uh, all over the place, particularly around conflict and trust building between human beings and understanding each other, right? It's a lot harder to do in text. Text becomes like a projection fest. You know, it's much easier to project your old wounds onto a, a text from somebody you hardly know than it is to do the same thing to another human being in front of you that's vulnerable. So that's a challenge. Going back to the other part of... Um, you know, the team or like, what's the kind of, I think of it as the kind of atomic unit of this new economy. And I think that's a very important topic. So going back, you know, 1937, Ronald Coase wrote The Nature of the Firm and basically a nice long article about, you know, why does it make sense to work as a corporation, you know, as a firm where you have a lot of people versus as a freelancer, is it better? Maybe it'd be better for just a bunch of freelancers to work on things. Why is it better to work as a as a company? And he made the argument that you know because of in, the efficiencies of scale, basically all the things we take for granted in the corporate world right now, you're going to do better in a large group. 
in that, the fundamentals of that equation have really changed. The friction that used to be there around doing certain types of work is no longer there. And if you look at the environment of Web3, you have a lot of these different features that come together that really changes that. You have the trustless nature of the blockchain. You have the open source software movement. And these things together, they make it like, I remember I was at ETH Denver for a conference recently. And I was talking to this different team and it felt like I was talking to a different division of my company, really, because you really realize that we're all working on the same stuff. We're all on the same team. It's all open source. It's all composable. The big thing that changes with Web3 is that vertical integration is not the same thing. Like most of the teams that I know, they're not trying to take over everything. Just the, the economics of that are different now. What they're trying to do is make their one major contribution or their few contributions and do that as best they can in a way that's going to increase the pie. It's a much more positive sum dynamic, much less competitive, much more collaborative. And that's due to the nature of those things like blockchain open source. We're all working kind of together on the same thing. What I notice really changing is team size. You know, you don't need to really have and I think this is going to change a lot more, especially a lot of the new DAO stuff that I'm working on and a lot of other people are too around sub-DAOs. Basically the unbundling of the DAO, the modularization of it, that the I believe that the fundamental unit of the you know emerging economy is the kind of six-person team. That's going to be like the main thing. And these different teams are going to work for various different projects and they're going to be compensated in various different ways. And it's not about collecting IP. Basically, nobody cares about IP in Web3 anymore. It's about, um, you know, creating the best products together. And, and, you know, because we have these beautiful new ways to distribute resources uh, and to allocate funds, like the blood supply is vastly changed in this new organism. I mean, that's super interesting. And, and I also was uh, reconnecting these to some of your comments, uh, uh, always in the podcast conversation you had with Jack and Aaron, uh, where you kind of, I don't want to say criticized, but kind of spoke uh, critically around uh, this idea of postmodern organizations, right? Uh, this idea that uh, inclusion and diversity is going to solve everything, you know? So there is a nuance of, uh, that I perceive, uh, a nuance of... Uh, you know, transcending postmodernity, right? And this is one of the questions that uh, we are discussing, right? Uh, in terms of zeitgeist, in terms of uh, even culture wars, if you want, right? We are seeing these different visions. Uh, there is a strong uh, discussion online on, you know, metamodernity as a, as a way to integrate both uh, even tradition and, uh, you know, more embeddedness and place-basedness. So, I see these frictions, right, uh, between uh, seeing ourselves as digitally connected teams that can, you know, as you said, focus on the work that you want to do and uh, get successful as a six-people uh, unit. And I really buy this. So I really think that uh, if there is one thing that is going to happen is that organizations are going to be unbundled, uh, right? But at the same time, I'm really wondering how do we re-embed those teams into place, And uh, um, if I think about the affordances of the DAO movement, even in terms of Conway's law and, or in general the affordance of the technology, uh, I tend to think that uh, I don't see this. So I don't see this uh, kind of uh, forces pushing for uh, teams to re-embed into place, re-embed into community, take care of the economy in a way that is much more plural and diverse. And this entails that we question the, the human development thesis that uh, the, this DAO movement brings about. So uh, what is your feeling in terms of uh, how do we transcend and reintegrate uh, these postmodern digital markets? Uh, uh, everybody can work remotely, digital nomads uh, thing. You know, how do we transcend this into something that is more meaningful? Uh, how do we regain Uh, meaning in organizing thanks to, you know, these new enablers that, uh, that are emerging. And, you know, you spoke about Teal and you spoke about the complexity that uh, people have to embrace uh, Teal uh, collaborative models of organizing uh, uh, remotely. But even Teal itself, you know, as a movement has been criticized to uh, not being able to really transcend uh, postmodern thinking. So what do you think about this? I don't know, maybe the, the, the question is really con confused, but I hope you, you at least you get some of the nuance that I'm, I'm trying to, you know, um, uh, convey. I think the first thing 
is important is that like, let's embrace and celebrate all of the wisdom that has come from every different developmental turn. Right. So it's, it's very easy to go and criticize things like postmodernism or modernism or previous transitions, but they all brought something and they all bring something now. The, the logic of the military and the church, you know, like that's valuable to think about process and, you know, strong relationships and hierarchies, like that's useful stuff. Let's not throw that away. Meritocracy, you know, that's useful too. And modernism and postmodernism, pluralism, understand and like, you know, egalitarianism and, you know, listening to everybody and that type of sensitive turn, like that's critically important too. And there's more. Right. And we can keep developing. And so I, and Teal, like, you know, the integral, like all of that piece is, is critically important as well to be able to see between and across all of these things and beyond into the transpersonal. The, the thing I often think about is spiral dynamics. Uh, and it certainly comes to mind, but like, we have to meet ourselves where we're at. You know, like just within me, I'm operating at all these different levels of consciousness. I'm not always at this high level of consciousness. And, you know, other people are coming from all different places. And again, we all have value. And, you know, we need to create structures that are going to be able to meet people where they are. You can create a tool that's great for teal people. And I've, I've done this, you know, and then you have people that really aren't operating in that way. It's not going to work. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it kind of will devolve very quickly and be subject to capture. Um, and then all of a sudden the conversation's happening at like the lowest common denominator. So it's like, you can't ignore that part of ourselves. That part has to be brought in too, and it needs different tools. And when you do see that all these different developmental levels have critical roles and they all need different treatments, it makes sense why it's hard sometimes to operate in a teal way and not fall back to postmodernism. It's because maybe we haven't figured out how to hold the postmodern piece of our culture properly yet. Like, look at the fucking culture wars going on around this stuff right now. Like, this is very fraught territory. Like, like, how do we hear the message of that piece of ourselves properly? I don't think we've figured that out yet. So before we try and escape it, which is natural, you know, we want to, like, go to the new stuff. I'm, I'm enlightened now, you know? Like, forget all that, that other stuff. Like, no, that other stuff is everything. So that, that's hard. And then coming back to the earth and to place and to meaning – I think that DAOs will, and all this technology stuff and all these bits, like they will help there too. It's like, um, just take it back to the individual. Think about oneself, like, you know, my sexual intelligence, my emotions, my heart. Each of these has wisdom that I do not want to live on this planet without. And each has it in its own unique way. And then the mind brings in this other incredibly powerful piece that, so that I, as a, as a life form, can function in a whole way. In society, you know, in organizational, we can look at the same thing. So like this digital layer that we're growing now, that's going to work in harmony with the land. You know, the, the, the Tao, the tech is kind of like the mind and the individual, and it needs to be integrated into the rest of that stack going all the way down to the earth. And I think as, as beings are going to navigate this environment in the future, what's, what's going to look like kind of tying it back to these, you know, circles and teams and work groups is that you know, we have the opportunity to be existing in all of these different circles. We're going to be in multiple different circles. So I want to be in an intentional community. I'm, you know, my family's thinking about moving to one and so that we can spend more time in the earth and more time, you know, in physical community. And then, but a lot of the problems with the, that type of stuff, like the kibitz, kibitz movement and socialist communities and communism, all this stuff is like, one of the things is it lacked some of the decision-making apparatus and the financial components, you know, the fire wasn't quite there and tended to in the right way, but that's exactly what we're learning how to do in DAOs. So like we can weave that in and then maybe create better place-based communities that are able to do cognition that previous ones haven't been able to do. This will be part of those, but then we'll be part of these disembodied ones too, like our science fiction fan clubs and our, you know, quantum physics research facilities, right? They're going to take place in the ether. And that's all right. It's not like everything needs to be connected to the earth directly. Like there's space for these etheric things as well. And those are beautiful too. Don't try and reduce those to like farming. But as beings, if we want to be integrated, I think it's important to have all of those parts of ourselves alive.
I mean, that's really, really important. I think, uh, you know, in running this podcast and other projects uh, looking into these questions, uh, I always uh, come to, the, we always, we often come to this point that uh, there is some integration to do, right? We have to, you know, in our friend Indy Joa uses this word uh, diagonal, right? We have to, to build this transformation in diagonal ways. So, so just I'd be able to work both at the global, digitalized, uh, you know, this kind of uh, new technological enablers level, but also the personal and, and an embedded, um, you know, layer. So if there is a challenge that I think uh, DAOs, uh, DAO practitioners and, and innovators in general, I think we have to entertain these challenges, this this this. Uh, Cone, as uh, as somebody was, would say, right. So this uh, problematic situation, this trouble. You know, you know, we have to stay in this trouble. So we don't have to just embrace this uh, techno optimistic uh, vision that uh, sometimes you know gets embedded into these narratives. But uh, at the same time, my feeling is that uh, these new technologies are bringing about uh, powerful ways for us to at least address and solve some of the lock-ins that, uh, um, for example, financial. Uh, precarity, right? Uh, lots of people have been uh, lifted out of precarity with with DAOs, and I think that's amazing. And people have been now able to think about how to reorient their their capabilities, their their will into regeneration, for example, or embeddedness. So, uh, people have been able to ask questions, basically, that in a precarious, uh, uh, ultra market driven work uh, world that we haven't been able to do so because bureaucracies have been a, a very strong and been dominating value production and markets for, for ages now, right? And have been demonstrating resistance to, to change. And I feel that these technological enablers are kind of uh, subverting this for the first time. And so maybe they are just giving us an opportunity to to think, an opportunity to reprioritize and decide what is uh, salient for us as teens and, and humans more in general. So I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, let's say. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it's interesting that it, the more we speak now on, on uh, Web3 and DAOs and so on, it's, my feeling is that it's definitely not neutral, that people have a very strong value-driven vision behind those projects and really wanting to to contribute to something better and then in, in different ways. But it, it's really nice to see that it, it's um, bad agents for now seems to be kept in check. And hopefully that these technologies that you have described help exactly to do that. So that can bring us some hopefulness in this, in face of all the challenges that we have to solve globally. But maybe to, to wrap up, if you want to point us uh, track to like, where do we follow our listeners follow you? And, and if you want to mention a few things that maybe are coming up that you're excited about and, and that you really want people to have on their radars, uh, that would be a good way to close the conversation. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. The best place to follow me is on Twitter. And I'm not going to spell my name because it's too long and confusing. And I totally chose a hard to spell and say name, but I'm hopefully you can put that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's Tracheopteryx on Twitter. I'm planning to kind of take the summer a little slower and spend some time, you know, with my family and in more deep work, thinking a little bit more, drifting, dreaming a little bit more. Um, so there's not a lot of events. Well, I will be going to some events, but there's nothing in particular I'd point you to. I mean, that's at least uh, suggestions for our listeners to slow down a little bit as well, right? And give themselves time to think and reflect. Yes. So, I mean, in general, it was amazing conversation. And we started from technicalities and, and we ended up with uh, really important things and important questions. And I love that. For sure, we're going to uh, release into to this podcast a few times, trying to extend more more think our thinking even more. So, thank you so much for for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, Stina, thank you for for co-hosting. And um, I mean, to our listeners, as always, uh, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversations podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did. Please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on boundless.io for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, and connect directly with us 
to use our help in designing your platform strategies and organizational transformations for the age of ecosystems. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.